How many of you love roller coasters? Oh, man, this is a roller coaster church. That is sweet. Well, I love the idea of roller coasters, but my body does not get along with them and, and agree with them. And that may have started when I was in utero uh, and my dear mother rode Space Mountain at Disney World. And I think my dad was actually under the impression that it was an educational ride. So my family hopped on and away we went. And so that may explain a lot about the way that I am the way that I am. A bunch of years ago, I took a, a group of students to Cedar Point, the roller coaster capital of the world, and, um, and spent a good part of the day alone, uh, wandering the park aimlessly, uh, fighting off nausea. Immediately after riding the Mantis, uh, I hovered over the trash can, which is fairly graphic, I know, and other festivities actually ensued later, but I won't get into those. But I should have backed off when I was approaching the ride and they were hosing it off. I should have known at that point to not get on the ride. But but I did. So maybe you love roller coasters, uh, wicked roller coasters. But imagine riding a roller coaster where you didn't know what was coming ahead. You could go from comfortable to blacking out within seconds and and not see it coming at all. Now, that might sound awesome for some of you. You're like, I would love that ride. Sign me up. Um, For a roller coaster, that may be okay, but probably not life. But life can be exactly like that. However, the ups and downs of life are more serious than a roller coaster. Life is up and down, and we often find ourselves feeling discontent with the way that things are. Mick Jagger told us, I can't get no satisfaction. Is he right? Is contentment a pipe dream? Well, the good news, my friends, my brothers and sisters, contentment is possible. But you have to know the secret to it. If you don't know the secret, you'll never be truly content So here's the inside scoop on contentment, and I'll give it to you in a simple math equation. Union with Christ plus strength of Christ equals content with Christ. Contentment starts with being united to Christ by faith. You must be in him, and he must be in you. Through that union with Jesus, he gives you his strength to be content. The final result then is that you find contentment in Christ, but also with Christ. So so no matter how good things are or no matter how bad things are, Jesus Christ is enough for you. Becoming content is a journey. Uh, Jesus leads you there. He teaches you how to be content by exposing for you more of the beauty of his supremacy. Let's begin with verse 10. Rejoice in the Lord greatly in the ups and downs of life. Rejoice in the Lord greatly in the ups and downs of life. Paul said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Well, let's unpack that. First, Paul rejoiced in the Lord, meaning he was supremely happy in God through his union with Christ. God poured joy into Paul through faith, and the Lord was both the source and the object of Paul's rejoicing. Second, Paul rejoiced in the Lord greatly. 
Does the word megalos sound familiar? Mega, mega, something that's really big or vast. Paul's rejoicing in the, in the Lord was megalos, big. Third, Paul said that now at length you have revived your concern for me. That word revive can be used of a flower uh, coming back into bloom and blooming once again. The, the Philippians care and support was blooming once again for Paul. And this led to Paul's great joy in the Lord while he was in prison. To understand the concern Paul was referring to, it's helpful to go back to Philippians 2, 25 through 30. If you have your Bibles open, you can go there just to review. But the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul while he was in prison. That was incredibly loving. Um, Epaphroditus arrived to meet Paul's practical needs, which demonstrated the Philippians' concern for Paul. While ministering to Paul, Epaphroditus got sick and he almost died, but God mercifully saved Epaphroditus, was merciful to Paul through that as well. And Paul wanted to send him back to Philippi uh, to the brothers and sisters so that they could rejoice that Epaphroditus was okay. He, he was going to be all right. And now if you jump to chapter 4, verse 18, Paul wrote this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul felt their deep love and concern and support, and he rejoiced in God. It had been several years since the Philippians had supported him. Uh, some suggest around 10 years. Uh, was Paul bitter about that, that, that it took them a while to, to kick it back in gear? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He rejoiced, and he added in verse 10, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. They never stopped caring about him. Uh, but something prohibited them. We don't know what it was, but something was there from uh, sending that stopped them from sending money or clothes or material possessions that he needed, whatever it was, uh, before they did. But Epaphroditus eventually brought those gifts, and that was a great blessing to Paul. When I was in seminary, I was in the chapel area one night with some friends, uh, likely studying with them, and, and a woman came knocking, and she told us her story, and, and sh that she needed some money, and perhaps not making the, you know, making the connection that we were poor seminary students, uh, but one, uh, one of the guys anyway, while we chatted with the woman, he went down into the kitchen, and he gathered up a grocery bag of things for her, and brought it back up, and her reaction after we were presenting this to her struck me. She got mad. Uh, she took the groceries, but she stomped off angrily at the fact that we gave them to her. What was happening, I think, is she couldn't see how God was caring for her through others, so she didn't rejoice in the Lord greatly. Instead, she got mad, maybe because we didn't give her exactly what she wanted. In the ups and downs of our lives... How many of us miss opportunities to rejoice in the Lord greatly when others show loving concern for us? When others help and support us, it, it gives us an opportunity uh, to be blessed by God's goodness through other people. It gives us an opportunity to greatly rejoice in the love and provision of God expressed through others. Rejoicing in the Lord is an integral part of contentment in the ups and downs of life. Contentment depends on joy 
in whatever God provides. Whatever God provides. Paul rejoiced in the Lord, and that's why he could see the love and faithfulness of God inside of the affection and concern and support of the Philippians. Dr. G. Walter Hansen is at Fuller Theological Seminary. He called this generosity among Christians a divine human triangular interaction. He said, quote, God initiates giving, empowers givers, supplies gifts, and meets needs. End of quote. When, when Christians meet one another's needs, it is a divine human triangular interaction. As the giving and receiving take place, God and man are both at work to increase joy in God and to increase contentment. And contentment isn't instinctual. Uh, If you watch any toddler playing with toys, you know that contentment is not inborn in us. Uh, You have to learn to be content. God teaches you how to be content. Next point, learn to be content in the ups and downs of life. Learn it. Learn to be content. Let's make sure we know what being content is. Uh, The word Paul used for content in verse 11 is a hapax legomenon. Doesn't that sound intriguing? Uh, Meaning it appears only one place in the New Testament right here. We can't cross-reference this word to see what other places say about it. It was, was, however, a common uh, word in ancient literature. One lexicon defined content as being satisfied or showing satisfaction with things as they are. That's pretty good. It doesn't mean you don't do hard work. It doesn't mean you have no ambition or desires. It doesn't mean that you want things to always stay the same and to never change. But contentment does mean that Christ is sufficient for you and everything else is loss. Contentment says, if nothing changes or if everything changes, I trust God and whatever his will is for me, he is enough. He is enough. And as we learn that God is enough for us, we are also learning to be content and to be grateful because we have God, right? Life ebbs and flows. Life is highs and lows. Life can be going so well. And then all of a sudden, the bottom drops out. Or we've hit rock bottom, and all of a sudden, God picks us up out of the dirt. And whether we like change or not, life is up and life is down. Things are out of our control. Things go right and things go wrong. We can't keep everything in a nice, neat little box. How awesome it would be if we were content whether up or down. Wow. That would be spectacular. That would be spectacular. We must learn to be content in all circumstances. Or my friends, we're going to turn into nervy, edgy, grumpy, grouchy, snappy, unhappy people with emotions ruled by our circumstances. We don't want to be people like that because that's miserable to live life that way. The way to find your greatest Happiness and pleasure is to possess contentment independent of your circumstances, your vacillating circumstances. Look at verse 11 again. 
Paul said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's an amazing statement considering that Paul was in prison when he wrote it. Not in a huge, luxurious palace. Paul had learned how to be content in life's ups and in life's downs. Now, some people read this passage and they think that Paul is saying to the Philippians, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Okay, I appreciate the gift, but I really didn't need it. Almost as if he was being negative or, or ungrateful. And that's peculiar for several reasons. Paul gushed with joy for the Philippians throughout the entire book. Uh, his, he rejoiced in the Lord at their concern for him. And he said in chapter 4, verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And then in verse 18, he called their gifts a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul wasn't negative. Paul wasn't passive aggressively rebuking them in some way for being late on their payment or whatever. He genuinely praised God for the concern and for the affection that came uh, from the Philippians. But in his thankful rejoicing, he didn't want to sound that he was implying, it's about stinking time. Where have you been for all of these years? He, he didn't want them to hear discontent in his joy and in his rejoicing. So he said, verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. Not a guilt trip. Not a guilt trip. His point was, it's not about my need. There's something above and beyond my need here. Paul rejoiced in the Lord because they had concern for him. They loved him. They supported him. Paul was happy in God and very thankful for the Philippians. Paul knew that something prevented them from sending support earlier. He understood that. He understood life. Uh, but oh, how he rejoiced that they loved him. They loved him, but it wasn't about his need. I think Dr. Philip Johnson captures Paul's thought really well. Johnson writes this. Paul wants his Philippians friends to know that his joy over their gift is not simply because their friendship has proved profitable to him. The gift itself, he can take or leave. What he treasures is the affection behind the gift. I think that's it. I think that's it. Paul wanted them to understand that his joy was independent of their gifts Yet he rejoiced in God over their affection and their gifts. When he said, I have learned, he meant more than, I understand that contentment is important. I understand that a Christian that follows Jesus, yeah, we should be content. He's saying more than that. He learned contentment to the point that it became part of his life. He actually was content in his heart. Now, before I tell you the secret of contentment, you need to see an important doctrine permeating Paul's words. The doctrine is the providence of God. The providence of God. The providence of God is the field from which contentment grows. A few weeks ago, I was thoroughly blessed and challenged by the Heidelberg Catechism, questions uh, 27 and 28. And if you get this theology deep within uh, your heart and your mind, it will change your perspective on life. This is transformational theology, biblical theology. Uh, it may not be immediately beautiful or helpful. It may actually challenge you this morning in a way that you've never thought of God's providence. Uh, but friends, this doctrine of God's providence is vital for you to find satisfaction in God. Vital. 
Please consider this carefully. Question 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? Answer. God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. Did you catch that? All things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Believing that is the road to contentment. If you believe that God is sovereign and you also believe that God is good, then you must believe that whatever ups and downs God brings you, he designs them for your greatest good and his ultimate glory. Or else you'll never be able to make sense of Genesis 50, verse 20. You'll never be able to make sense of Romans 8, 28 through 30 and many other wonderful passages of Scripture. But they're all true because God's providence is true. God orchestrates our pleasure and our pain precisely because He is our kind Father who loves us. He is in control and we can contentedly trust him because he knows what he's doing. Even if the ups and downs make no sense to us, God knows what he's doing. How does it help us to know that God brings both pleasure and pain? How is that helpful? The Heidelberg gives a biblical answer. This can help you so much. Please don't miss the goodness of this. Question 28. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? Answer, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. That is our God. That is his strength. Do you know what this truth does for you? It frees you. It liberates you to trust God's good purpose in everything. Everything. It frees you to trust that God is working in everything for your greatest good. Romans 8. It builds your confidence that though God's providence may at times taste very bitter, God always tastes sweet. The providence of God can boost your contentment in 10,000 different circumstances. Read Philippians. Just read it. Read it again, over and over again. Look deeply into Paul's words and you'll see his confidence in the providence of God. Pastor and author Kevin DeYoung said this about God's providence. You can look at providence through the lens of human autonomy and our idolatrous notions of freedom and see a mean God moving tsunamis and kings like chess pieces in some kind of perverse divine playtime. Or you can look at providence through the lens of Scripture 
and see a loving God counting the hairs on our heads and directing the sparrows in the sky so that we might live life unafraid. There are no accidents in your life. Every economic downturn, every phone call in the middle of the night, every oncology report has been sent to us from the God who sees all things, plans all things, and loves us more than we know. Whether it means the end of suffering or the extension of suffering, God in his providence is for us and not against us. That is a rock to build your life upon. God in his providence is for us, not against us. Do you believe that? People of God, do you believe that? Paul believed it. You can hear it in his writing. Paul learned that no matter what, God loved him. Christ was sufficient for him. The Holy Spirit would help him. And he would be content with God in whatever circumstances God brought him. Sometime, maybe this week, jot this down. Check out 2 Corinthians 11. 16 through 33, and see what kind of things Paul endured for Christ. It'll blow your mind. Terrible and frightening things that Paul believed God brought to him. Read Acts 9. Read Acts 20. Read Acts 21. Talking about afflictions, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 3, Verse 3, we are destined for this. God destined Paul for afflictions, for hard things, things that made his life very, very difficult. Contentment comes when you trust that God has brought you pleasure and pain and is with you through pleasure and pain. The root of discontentment is distrust in God's providence. We have to learn the providence of God so we can learn to be content with his will for us, which, my friends, no matter what life is like for you now, do you know what is at the end of God's providence and will for us? Eternal joy in Christ. Man, who, who cares about these Things. And yes, we, they're very hard in these things of these life. I don't mean to minimize that in any way, shape, or form. They are very hard to get through. But God will sustain us. He will walk through us. And at the end, he gives us himself in full. That is not disappointing. I grumble and complain about some of the most petty and trivial things. Wow. I amaze myself. My laptop has been randomly kicking me off Wi-Fi. I'm discontent with that. Our dishwasher, which is less than three years old, broke again. Three years! Can they make a quality product that you don't have to replace? Technology, what in the world? We're waiting for it to be fixed again. I'm discontent with that. I could keep going. You know you could too. Some of yours might be worse than mine. I think Dr. Dennis Johnson pegs us pretty good when he writes this. For many of us, the challenge is not to be content when we have nothing. After all, we have never had nothing. The challenge is to be content when we have more than we need, but less than we want. Ouch! Thank you, Dr. Johnson, for that kick in the pants. We need to learn more in God's classroom of contentment. What was Paul's secret? Learn the simple secret. 
of contentment in the ups and downs of life? Learn that simple secret. You have to learn the secret. Uh, It's not immediately obvious how to be content in life. But it's right here in verses 12 and 13. Paul said this, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul said, I have learned the secret. What's the secret? Paul, please, if you would, tell us how you learned to be content in the ups and downs of your incredibly hard life. Because my life is nothing like yours, Paul, so I would appreciate a little bit of wisdom to know how in my little tiny things of the dishwashing, I've washed more dishes this past week than who knows, but how might Paul's words be able to help me here? That word secret is intriguing. Dr. Hansen notes that it was an ancient Greek word used metaphorically for gaining insider knowledge. Insider knowledge. It was a word that delineated those outside without the knowledge from those inside with the knowledge. So in order to know the secret of contentment, you have to be an insider. You can't be an outsider and understand the secret. You've got to get in And so I want to know what the insider means, and I'm going to explain that to you in a little bit. But first, here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret. It's not even that hard to understand. That's the secret of contentment. That's what Paul learned. Verse 13 is famous and widely misinterpreted and misapplied. Probably in the top three verses to be totally plucked out of context and misused by people. Countless athletes use verse 13 as their inspirational mantra for better athletic and higher performance. I saw a picture of this high school football team charging the field with a banner that had Philippians 4.13 on their flag. Now, at least it's scripture. Come on. They're putting it out there. But the context and application of Philippians 4.13 is misleading at best. Some preachers use this verse to promote their prosperity gospel garbage. Some people just drop off the end of the verse. I can do all things. This verse is abused. And too often the wrong thing in verse 13 is accentuated. First, what does Paul mean by I can do? The verb iskuo means to be capable of, to be strong enough to do something. What was Paul capable and strong enough to do? All things. Second, what does Paul mean by all things? The word pas is most often translated all. The question is, considering the context, what did Paul mean by all? He was talking about contentment in any and every circumstance. Brought low, content. Abounding, content. Plenty, content. Hunger, content. Abundance, content. Need, content. Content, content, content. That's his point. Paul was able to be content in all his ups and downs. He wasn't talking about achieving his wildest dreams. He wasn't talking about having better self-esteem or overcoming his naysayers, or going after his dreams so that God could realize Paul's full potential. That's not what he's talking about. Third, what does Paul mean by through him? Here's the insider part. 
Track with this. This is really important. Him refers to Jesus Christ. And Paul used the Greek preposition en, which is most frequently translated in. The same preposition appears throughout Philippians. In the Lord and in Christ Jesus and in Christ and in the Lord Jesus. In represents union with Christ. I think the English translation through him loses a certain dynamic that's here in the Greek. Paul was essentially saying, I can do all things in union with Christ. Or I can be content in all these types of circumstances because I am united to Christ by faith. I can do all things in him. In him. You have to be an insider inside Christ to know the secret of contentment. If you are not united to Christ, you cannot be a content person. Look at the world. Are they content with their super wealth, super good looks, super everything? They're not content. And there's a reason for that. You have to be in Christ. Contentment is inseparable from being in Jesus and having Jesus in you. Abiding in Jesus and having Jesus abiding in you. Union with Christ is the only way to have real contentment in the ups and downs of life. Jesus did say, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. How can we possibly accentuate the I can do of Philippians 4.13 when Jesus so plainly said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Why put the emphasis there? The best part of verse 13 is in him who strengthens That's the best part. Accentuate that. Nothing is more wonderful than union with Christ. Union with Christ plus strength of Christ equals content with Christ. Fourth, what does Paul mean by who strengthens me? Paul used a Greek compound word composed of the preposition en, here it is again, meaning in, and dunamao meaning strengthen. In strengthened through faith, Jesus put his strength inside of Paul. Into Paul, Jesus gave Paul the ability to do all things. Paul added in Colossians 1.29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's his energy inside of us, working, strengthening, leading. That's it. So verse 13 has nothing to do with finding strength within yourself, but rather tapping into the strength of Christ who is in you. Do you understand the difference? Once again, union with Christ plus strength of Christ equals content with Christ. The accent of verse 13 is in him who strengthens me. Christ teaches you how to be content. You learn contentment in him by his strength. He who began a good work in us, right? Have you considered your teacher? Have you considered the one who is seeking to teach you to be content? Have you considered him? Have you ever considered that Jesus Christ was perfectly content to take all your sin upon himself? Perfectly content to suffer the wrath and judgment of God for you in your place. Perfectly content to bear the unbearable weight of the cross for you. He was content with God's will for him in all the ups and downs of his life. And if anybody experienced ups and downs in his life, it was Jesus. You must look to Christ 
to even make sense of what contentment is. You see it in him. He is contentment. The end result then of union with Christ and the strength of Christ is being content with Christ. He is content. He is in you. You are content together with him. And you are content in simply knowing him. Simply knowing him. Infused in verse 13 is chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. This was paramount to Paul's contentment. Listen to it again. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Christ was supremely valuable to Paul. Therefore, Paul was free in Christ to be content with Christ. Paul was content in Christ and also with Christ because Christ was enough for him. Union with Christ plus strength of Christ equals content with Christ. Let me end with Hebrews 13, verse 5, which some say that Paul wrote, by the way. It says this, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For or because he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now think about that. Contentment is connected to the presence of Christ. How does that help us with contentment? And I hope you know the answer to that. See, the personal presence of Jesus is the most valuable gift imaginable which liberates us. It frees us to love money less, a lot less, and to love his presence most. To have Jesus with us is enough. What more could we want or have? As a younger Christian, I thought about faith in Christ more in terms of getting me out of hell and getting me into heaven, and not so much as ongoing trust that Christ is enough for me, and Christ will supply me with the strength I need to fight and conquer sin and be more like him and value him supremely. Faith is actively trusting that Christ will supply us the strength we need to treasure Christ most and obey God's commands. That's faith. It doesn't stop once you're converted. Faith continues to believe that Jesus will be for you what you need him to be for you. My sin runs so deeply and seems so daunting that it feels sometimes like I'm making no progress. Have I changed at all in the last year to represent Christ better? But faith trusts that Christ is at work in us and will empower us to make the progress that we want because we're united to him. So if you've trusted in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation, you have been united to him. You're united to Christ, an inseparable union. And that is awesome news for you. And for me, but do you trust that Christ will then strengthen you every day to put sin to death, to walk by his spirit in holiness? Do you believe, verse 13, you've heard it quoted plenty of times, you might have it on your wall in a sketch or in 
crocheting or whatever they do, count a cross stitch, you might have it on your coffee mug at home. You may plaster it on your Facebook page, but my question is, do you believe it? Verse 13, do you actually believe that Christ is strong enough to make you, even you, a content person? In the ups and downs of your life, you can do all things through Christ, in Christ who strengthens you. You can. He promised you that. Am I misreading it? If you want to enjoy the benefits of contentment, you must trust that in Christ you can actually be content. Union with Christ plus strength of Christ equals content with Christ. When you trust Christ and become one with him, he fills you with his strength to value his supremacy and to find your contentment in him, by him, with him. When all you have is Christ, Jesus becomes your life and contentment. Father in heaven, thank you that your word is so clear. We struggle so deeply with verse 13. Uh, We like to quote it as some self-help pick-me-up. It's not that. It's so much more than that. We're talking about the strength of Christ in us, compelling us to holiness and contentment in Christ alone. Oh God, I pray that we can have our contentment in Christ alone. Amen.